Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. What are we doing? You may be wondering at yourself. This is not what we normally do. We normally have a little more singing, a little more worship before preaching gets started. That's true. But bigger than that, what, what are we doing? I mean, right here, right now, we have made it a priority for whatever reason to be uh, here in this place. And most of you do it regularly. Some of you, this might be your very first time to do it. And so I want to just think about this for, for a few minutes. Uh, we're in week three of the sermon series that we're calling Pursue. And we're looking at the marks of a maturing believer. What, what does it look like to really be growing in a relationship with Christ? What, what should that look like? We set it up a couple of weeks ago by acknowledging that there are some standards and some markers of growth and maturity that are expected when a child comes into this world some, uh, as a baby and, and they're, they're mature along and, and some things that we can observe and feel like they're making the right kind of progress. And so from a spiritual standpoint, what do those markers look like for us to indicate that we are growing in our walk with the Lord? And so last week, we looked at devotion. Uh, we call it, and you've seen on the walls here, uh, the, the different marks of a maturing believer that we have, um, pursuing Christ daily. That's, that's a marker. We looked at that last week. Devotion is what we called it. Today, uh, worship God weekly is one of our values, one of those marks that we have established. And so worship, the big picture of it, is, is a key part of a believer's life. It ought to be present. And so that's what we're diving into. What is worship? By definition, it's to honor or show reverence for as a divine being or supernatural power. Or secondly, to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. That's a sense of the tone that ought to be a part of what worship is about, to regard with great, extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. And God's people have been expected to worship him from the start, from the very beginning. And so today we're going to look at an example of worship from Psalm 95. And so I want to invite you to go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to Psalm 95. That's where we're going, the, the main passage we're going to use today. And I want to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Psalm 95 says, come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him in song. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. The depths of the earth are in his hand and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his, he made it. His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah or as on that day at Massah in the wilderness where your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was disgusted with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not know my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. 
Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, we see the expectation and the example of what worship should be about and how it should be. And Lord, I pray that today that we would live that out, that we would be committed to that, that we would grab hold of this truth and we would measure our lives against what you call us to be as worshipers. And Lord, we would do things and be committed to doing worship the way that honors you most. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. As you're being seated, I, I want to just lay this out for you today. The big picture idea today, the main idea is this, that pursuit of the Lord is expressed in authentic worship. Pursuit of the Lord is expressed in authentic worship. That pursuit implies some action on our part. We know that as believers in Christ, the growth process that we're in is that we're to be conformed into the likeness of Christ, into his image. That's what we are to, to be representatives in the way that we handle life, the way that we approach things, the way that we believe and think and act. And so we need to be pursuing the Lord and authentic worship is a part of that. In my Bible, maybe yours is uh, in this Christian Standard Bible translation, there's a subtitle kind of really, I guess, a title above chapter 95 and it says worship and warning you know it does that throughout throughout the scripture here just to kind of give you an idea of what you're about to be reading and it's unusual to have the words worship and warning paired together like this but that's what we find in this passage of scripture and so we're going to look at first of all the the expectation the command to pursue the wonder of worship we're going to look at how they worshiped verse one says come let us stop right there. Let us. This is the collected body of believers, the, the, the group of them, not an individual isolated from everyone else, but the group of believers come, let us. It was done corporately, this exp expression of worship. And so when we talk about, we use the term corporate worship, that means all of us together worshiping the Lord together. That's an expectation and that's an aspect of worship, all of us together. So all of us together shout joyfully to the Lord and then shout tri triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. How did their worship happen? It happened together and it happened with loud shouting and joyful, triumphant attitude and tone right here. Now, what's the setting for that? Some of you Baptists just got real nervous about me talking about shouting when, in regards to worship. I'm just reading the Bible. <laughs> Think about what they were doing. They were going to encounter the presence of the Lord, which they regarded as being in the temple. That's where they acknowledged that God's presence resided. It was the house of the Lord. They are on their way there as the, as the body together. They're going. So they are outside as they're, as they're going to that. Let us shout joyfully to the Lord. And this, this triumphant, this, this tone, it's excited. It's, it's upbeat. Triumphantly uh, implies victory. It's, it's an enthusiastic celebration kind of image here. As followers of the Lord, uh, we know we're on the winning side. That they knew that. They knew God's track record. They knew how he had provided for them, how, they had, how he had protected them. They had plenty of reasons to feel triumphant. He is God. And so they are going to his presence 
there to this temple, to the Lord's house, to worship him, to make sure that he gets the praise and he gets the adoration and the respect and honor that he deserves. That was a collective ethic that they lived out. And so they, they're, they're, they go together, they shout joyfully to the Lord, there's expectancy, there's a shout of triumph to the rock of our salvation, that's what he had provided for them, enter his presence with thanksgiving that grateful appreciation for all that he had done and shout triumphantly to him. And again, the word triumphant, biggie, to him in song. To him in song. Why in song? The significance of song to them. Uh, the impact of music and of worship. There is something that music does that nothing else can do. Music is designed to be able to, to reach us and to touch us in a way that's just impactful like nothing else can. It's just, it's a gift that God gives us. And so when you think about some of the things that, that music does, the, the soothing that it provides, the, the enjoyment that it provides, the, 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 uh, there's the level of excitement, enthusiasm that, that it provides, all these things, music just touches us at our core. And it was an expression of their hearts. Think about the things that we know from music. And by that, I mean this. There are very few of us would say that you have much memorized in the way of text of any kind, whether it's, you know, you think about things like the preamble to the constitution or, you know, even, you know, blocks of scripture. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of that just memorized that we would just say it out loud. Maybe you can recall some things from your school days. You were forced to memorize stuff. I mean, we did. I mean, we had to do, you know, the, uh, the, you know, the speech from Julius Caesar, all that kind of stuff. And I memorized it for the, for the grade, and then most of it's gone. But you think about the songs that you know. You're riding down the road, and your favorite station is on, some of y'all are real spiritual and you're listening to the Christian radio and, you know, 88.7 or whichever one is yours, you know, 100.9, one of those. And man, those, those songs just come on and you're listening to them all the time and you're singing them and you're singing them. Some of y'all, you got yours on country radio, especially the classic country. Amen. That's the, that's the you know, that's been around a little while, you know, and, and some of those classic old songs. And, you know, if you had the responsibility to just quote all the words to that song, any of those songs, most of us wouldn't necessarily go real far in just quoting them. But when it's put to music and we start singing, all of a sudden, boy, there's a whole lot in there. There's stuff in my mind from high school that doesn't need to be in there as far as a memory bank of lyrics to songs. Some of y'all, I know. Y'all listen to some of the same stuff I did. Music does that. Music is able to do it. And so in the worship context, there's the singing to the Lord and that expression of joyfulness to the Lord. And it is giving the truth back that we know about him. And so they put the truth of God to music. And as they travel together, they would sing those songs. That's the picture. And that's the idea. Song has always been an important part of worship. So how else did they worship? Let's skip down to verse six. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. This is a picture of humility, that when you come before the almighty, we ought to have a sense of humility. Humility is when we recognize that there is something greater than us, that he is God, that we're not, 
that we owe him everything. And because of that, in humility, we come because we know we're not bringing anything to the equation. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 gives us a beautiful picture of this on how Jesus expressed humility. It says, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself, stepped out of heaven into this world to experience all that we know that he experienced, man, death and burial, burial, opening, resurrection, but rejection and pain and torture, all those things happen. He humbled himself. He modeled that for us. And so God exalted him. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Kneeling before the Lord is an appropriate expression of worship. It's not the only expression, but it is an important expression of worship to show humility because one day every knee will bow. For all the worshipers, the ones that love the Lord, that bowing before the Lord, that ought not be any big change. That ought to be, hey, this is what we're wired up to do. This is a part of my regular practice as a believer in Christ to be on my knees before the Lord in humility. But for those that are not believers in Jesus, they're going to bow too. It's just going to be a different tone. It's going to be a different situation. It's going to be a have to rather than get to. That's not the situation you want to be in because then it's too late. It's too late to give your heart to the Lord. It's too late to follow him. It's too late to express your life as a believer in Christ and have him filling up your life. But every knee will bow before the Lord. So bowing down and kneeling to the Lord is part of the how. That's part of the expression there. But this gathering together and coming together is such an important part, important aspect of worship. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says it like this. Let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. There's a part of the experience as believers in the Lord that we ought to have together, that, that we don't neglect coming together, that we don't try to be lone rangers out there, that there's this anticipation and a commitment that we're going to join together as the body of Christ. We're coming together. Why? To provoke love and good works. This rhythm of, of worship, coming together to worship together, to serve together, to encourage one another. Those are all things that ought to be a part of our experience as we are the body of Christ together. So this, this coming together ought to bring some encouragement, especially in light of the reality that the Lord is coming back. There is coming a day when he will return. And so that is, it's key that we get that, that, that the Lord's coming. We want to make sure that we are giving him the worship that he, he deserves and that we are functioning together the way that he has called us to function together. There's a regular rhythm about that. You know, I think about my growing up years uh, down in Morgan City. I went to First Baptist Morgan City, and there was a couple there in our church, uh, Buster and Jenny Sauls, and they were old the whole time I knew them. I mean, when I was born in, and came into that church, they were old folks. When I went on to college, they were old folks. I mean, they were, they were forever old, <laughs> but they were forever awesome. Okay, the most encouraging people in the world. Buster was that guy out front that was shaking every hand as people were coming there. He was genuinely excited to see people coming to church. 
made me feel good. And I knew that no matter what it was like prior to getting to church, and y'all know that sometimes getting to church ain't all that fun, right? I mean, some of us as kids, we had to get convinced, you know, the whole, we had drug issues. We got drugged to church. If, you know, it, it wasn't a vote. It, it wasn't, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, it, it, we were going, okay? And whether or not we were happy about it was irrelevant. It was going to happen, okay? So we're, we're going there. It's going to happen. But we knew this, my brother and I for sure knew. We knew that even if my mom and dad were not all that thrilled with us for whatever was going on that morning that my brother had obviously started, um, <laughs> we knew that Buster Sauls was going to be excited about us being there. Buster was a real estate man in town. He had the, the, the number one real estate agency down there in Morgan City. And his signs around town in yards when, when, when his company had made the sale said, Buster sold it, and big exclamation point. And that made us all feel good because we drive around and like, that's our guy. Mr. Buster's, his company sold that one. We'd come up. And man, he would just shake our hand and grab us and hug us. And he would say to everybody that came, this was his standard line. What you say, friend? What you say, friend? But for us boys, boy boys, he'd say, what you say, frog? He called us frogs. I don't know why. I'm a college student going there and I'm still a frog to Mr. Buster. And I loved it. But it made me feel good, and it made me feel excited. He set a tone for what was going to happen that day. That's what we need to do for one another, to be able to set a tone. I love seeing our little kids. I love messing with them and encouraging with them. I want them to enjoy coming to the house of the Lord. I want them to enjoy the whole experience, the worship experience, but also the encouraging one another part of it. Miss Jenny, bless her heart. Every time she saw me, I'd come home from college or, you know, to visit and she, she'd grab my hands and she'd look me and she had the most beautiful blue eyes and she'd have tears and she'd say, Mark, we pray for you every day. We pray for you every day. Hey, that's the way it's supposed to be. When you got people like that, that's part of the church experience and the tone and expectation of worship and the environment that we help set the stage for right there is so critical and important to help us see the Lord. So that's the how, why they worshiped. Well, look back up at verse three, four. When you see the word four, that, that's kind of basically your here's why. Because it, the Lord is a great God. They worship because of the greatness of God. They recognized his greatness. Do you? It says he's a great king above all gods. A king is a ruler. A king is in charge. He owns it all. They recognize his authority. Do you? Do you recognize his greatness? Do you recognize his authority? Does your worship reflect that? Verses four and five. Why? God is creator. Look at this. The depths of the earth are in his hand, and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. So let's see. Over the whole earth, from the lowest to the highest, both the sea and the dry land, whether it's wet or whether it's dry, that about sums it up, right? Lowest to highest, wettest to driest, everything. He made it all. So the acknowledgement that he is the creator, everything is his creation was important. Verse seven says, for he is our God. 
They recognized his identity. Do you? They were in relationship with the Almighty. And look, look how that relationship looks. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care, this image of God as the great shepherd, and we as sheep under his care, dependent upon him for protection, dependent upon him for provision, dependent on him having a game plan for, for what's next and for our life. Man, our relationship with God as a great shepherd is a beautiful thing, a beautiful picture. And so that's the acknowledgement that they had. He's our God. We're his people. That's our identity. They recognize their identity. Do you? Do you recognize yours, who you are in him? There is a recognition of belonging and of God's provision. Those of you that uh, know Ann and me or have heard much at all about us, you know, especially if you follow on social media, especially Ann, um, you know that we, have, we are dog people, okay? We, we have had a succession of dogs over our married life. We, we, have, a, we have a graveyard in our backyard uh, commemorating some of the awesome dogs that the Lord has blessed us with. And we have some, I mean, just some dogs with some personality, man, just some, some cool factor to them. And people who come to our house have always enjoyed, you know, our, our dogs. Well, the ones that we have now, we got a little, um, a little, once our last one had, uh, had, had been buried out there, the next one was a mini schnauzer. Okay. And researched it and everything and figured out that that's what she wanted to get. Well, this mini schnauzer is named Dottie. And Dottie is just like the social chairman. She loves everybody. She would be the Buster Sauls, okay? She'd be out there greeting everybody, making you feel like you're the most important person ever. She's so glad to see you. That, that's how she rolls. Then we rescued a, a poodle that was just, bless his heart, it was just in, in pitiful shape and left out in the rain, zip tie around its neck, everything. That dog hit the proverbial lottery, okay? And my wife rescued little Rose. And so she's sweet too, but she's not Dottie kind of sweet. Dottie's aggressive, happy, jubilant sweet. Rose is getting next to you and you rub her on her head. And when you stop, she reminds you to keep rubbing her on her head kind of sweet, but she wants to be next to you. That's our dogs right there. Now they like me just fine. Okay. We're on friendly terms. When Ann's not around, man, they draw close to me. They'll even come jump up in my lap and watch a ball game with me and stuff. Dottie will watch more. Rose is kind of more sleeping, but Dottie, Dottie you know, she'll watch. Man, they're, they're right there with me. And, and, and so, th you know, they, they, they do like me, but they're always waiting for mama. Hey, the slightest noise outside. Is mama back? Mama back? I mean, they don't say that out loud, but I know that's what they're thinking. Right. <laughs> mama home. And then whenever they hear her vehicle pull up in the driveway, these dogs that really for a couple of hours have been laying happily in my lap, launch, <laughs> launch out of the recliner. They go to the door and they screech. Dogs are supposed to bark. They go beyond barking to screeching obnoxious, burn your eardrum screeching because mama is home and she opens the door and they're just so excited and make a big fuss. You'd think that I was just the meanest thing ever in comparison to how they treat her. Now that's what goes on. I'm okay for a while, but I'm no substitute 
for the one that loves them the most, that provides for them, that nurtures them, that, that feeds them, does all that stuff. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Mark just compared all of us to dogs and that we should regard. <laughs> the way that they think that Anne is such a big deal, and for them she is, and for me too. I don't screech, but I'm always happy when she comes home. <laughs> the way that they regard her, we would do well to regard God in that way. Provider, the one who nurtures us, the one who protects us, the one who loves us more than anybody else could possibly love us. That's what I'm talking about right here. They modeled it really, really well. So that's the, the first thing that we need to do and, uh, and need to recognize that this aspect of worship, we ought to pursue the wonder of worship. And all these things are about God's wonder, all these characteristics about him cause us to, to have wonder and amazement about all that he is. Now, get down in, 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 uh, in verse 7, the, the, the last part of it there, and, and you're going to see the next thing that we need to understand about worship, and that is the warning part. Perceive the warning for worship. Here's what worship ought to be. Here's how it ought to be. But be careful about this right here. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah and as on that day at Massah in the wilderness where your fathers tested me. Okay. At Meribah, what happened there? Well, remember back um, to Exodus chapter 17. And prior to that, all that God had done, remember he had delivered them from Egypt. Okay. Um, he, and, and, and the clutches of Pharaoh, they, he had parted the Red Sea. He had manifested himself as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He, uh, had provided manna to feed them for years. I mean, he had done it all. They had seen this with their own eyes. They had experienced all of these things, the goodness of God, but their water supply runs low at Massah. And these same people that experienced all the goodness of God got angry and grumpy and they started questioning the faithfulness of God. And they were taking it out on Moses and he was the one that represented the Lord to him. And so Exodus chapter 17, verses four through seven, then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? In a little while, they will stone me. Think about this. This is the guy that, that led them out. Man, he's standing at the front when the Red Sea part. I mean, Moses is the man for them. He's afraid that they're going to kill him. And so the Lord answered Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take the staff you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I'm going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. When you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Meribah means quarreling or strife. Massah means trial or testing. That's the Lord names this place, these two names right there, because his people that should have known all about his goodness and remembered all of that, they were impatient, they were faithless, and they were angry and grumpy and just 
were a real problem there. And, and so that's what gave th- this place the, the name. I want you to imagine this, a championship winning team. There's a victory celebration, parade. That, that's kind of what happens, man. So the team wins a big national championship. They do, do a big parade in, in their honor. And man, it's worthy of celebration. And let's just say that you're at the celebration, one of these big victory celebrations for the team that you love and you're excited about. You've hung in there with them all year. They've won this championship. So now's the big day. But you notice a couple things. The, the, the banner is not hung exactly where I would have hung the banner. The ice cream vendor doesn't have sprinkles for the ice cream the way that I like them. Okay. We got ice cream, but we don't have the sprinkles. The, the confetti, I really would have chosen different colors for the, for the confetti. That, that's really not, not the ones that I would have liked. You see where this is going? Totally missing the point of why there was a big celebration to begin with. God says the consequences here for these that should have been living life in victory celebration, should have been living life in view of his awesomeness and his provision for them. They totally turned their back on that. They totally forgot that. They were faithless about this. And so he says, for 40 years, well, first they tested me and they tried me. I mean, <laughs> come on. They tested and tried me. God. For 40 years, I was disgusted with that generation. And I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not know my ways. I swore my anger. They will not enter my rest. Can you imagine if God were driving the car and the kids are in the back? Y'all had that conversation? Do I need to pull this car over? Am I going to have to come back there and get... You know the feeling and the frustration of that. I mean, I know some of you parents are super spiritual and never think about doing anything like that to your children, really. But can you imagine? I mean, all that God had done, all that he had been to them, and he is so frustrated with their lack of faith and acknowledgement and appreciation that he is, Scripture says, disgusted. He's disgusted about it. They, he, he swore that they would not enter his rest, that they would not get to experience that promised land that they had been yearning for and aimed toward all this time. What does that say about us? He says that don't harden your hearts like they did back then. It means that we need to be careful in our attitude and posture regarding worship. First of all, going to worship, coming together to worship, is it optional? Is it just, well, yeah, I feel, I feel up for it today. And I'm not talking about physical illness, man. If you're, if you're not, if you're, if you're physically ill, sick, no, stay home. But apart from that, eh, yeah, I don't, I don't know much. I, I can take it or leave it. I can do it or not. It, it, and is it, is it worship? Well, if, if I get my way, if it's the way that I want it to be, if, if I like, if I like the songs, if I like the, the sermon, if I like the length of the sermon, you know, if whatever, you fill in the blank right there, all of those kind of things that, that can happen right there. And the Lord says, be, if, if God is doing what I want him to do, then I'll show up there on Sunday morning. 
If he's meeting my needs the way that I want them to be met, then I'll be there for worship. But if he isn't doing things the way that I want them to be done, I got other things that I'm going to do on that day. I'll give him another chance later on. Do you hear the danger there? Unless we think that that is just something that how in the world could they live in light of all those miracles and all that obvious expression of God's presence and provision for them, how could they live that way and still be faithless? Man, how fickle are we? How easy do we get distracted and do we give other things priority over our worship? And by the way, when we worship, you can see that we're to be active participants, not passive spectators. Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord, shout triumphantly. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him in song. Worship is not a spectator event. You didn't come into a concert. You didn't come into a lecture hall. You came into an environment. We choose to enter an environment that is designed for us as God's people to give him the praise and honor and glory and appreciation that he rightfully deserves and only he rightfully deserves. And he lets us do that together and calls us to do it together. But not just on Sundays. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul writes and he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. What is true worship? Presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. A sacrifice was something that was devoted. It was something that was given. It was turned over as an act of worship. That, that's what sacrifice implies death to self. And so our true worship is when we turn over ourselves to everything that he is and we submit ourselves to him, everything that we are and we have, our lives are completely presented to him as a sacrifice. That is true worship. We have an individual responsibility to worship in that way. We have a corporate responsibility to come together with other believers and do what we're doing right here. And together, that is the aspect of worship in our lives that God calls us to. Worship is critical to our growth as a believer. But it's critical for us as an expression of who we are and who we belong to because God deserves our worship and our praise. And worship is great practice for heaven. Revelation chapter 7 gives us a beautiful picture of what is to come. A lot of times folks wonder, man, what's it going to be like? And we, you know, you get these little ideas about what would heaven be like? What's eternity going to be like? And, you know, we paint it in these really boring kind of droll pictures. Are we just going to be floating on clouds and, you know, being just quiet and bored all the time and everything's like, come on, come on. We are going to be together with believers from around the world. Listen to this. John says, after this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number. Standing before the throne and before the lamb, they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and along with the elders and the four living creatures, they fell face down before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. 
this beautiful acknowledgement of all that God is culminates together with believers from around the world and it is awesome and it's beautiful and we're not going to be complaining about it it's going to be overwhelming and it's going to be loud and we're going to like it a lot and it's going to bless him because he deserves it i want you to remember the main idea today pursuit of the lord is expressed in authentic worship are you expressing yourself in authentic worship, both when you come together here as the body and the way that you live your life as an individual? Authentic worship is a mark of a maturing believer. So, now, what are we doing? Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope, again, that you were encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.